Today we conclude our sermon series on the book of Exodus and we stop right here at what we know as the Ten Commandments. This morning I want to introduce you to someone. I want to introduce you to the newest member of the Smith family this morning. And his name is Max. No, Angela and I are not expecting a child. Max is our new dog. Um, now, some of you know that we have a dog. Her name is Bella. We've had Bella for, well, it will be four years, I suppose, this uh, coming November. And she's been the queen of the house. And when Angela and I were heading out of town uh, just a few days ago, uh, or a couple weeks ago, we were going to the beach for vacation, and uh, we had to board Bella, and when we took her to be boarded, we met Max. Now, we had no intention of adopting another animal. Uh, we simply were going to take care of the one that we had uh, by leaving her in good hands, and so when we arrived at the place to, to board her, um, the person that we usually meet with was not there to greet us, and we walked into the kennel area where the dogs were, and I saw Max, and Max walked right up to me, and he sat down, and he just smiled, and he didn't bark like all the other dogs were, and he just stared at me like, please pet me. And so when we were dealing with uh, getting Bella squared away, we asked and said, well, who's this dog? And she said, well, they named him Petey. She said, uh, Petey just came here, and um, Petey was actually rescued. Um, I just got him. A friend of mine works for an organization that rescues abused animals, and I volunteer with that organization, and they ran out of room, uh, and so I am boarding him until they can get him to Virginia so that hopefully he can be adopted. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't stand anyone who beats animals, or children, or anyone else for that matter, but that really bothers me. And Bella is a rescue dog. She was abused uh, when we adopted her. And so uh, Angela and I left and didn't think anything of it. And the next day after church, when we left to go to the beach, all of a sudden she brought up information about the dog. And I said, you know what? Maybe we should just give her a call and see if he's able to be adopted, if we could adopt him. Well, in that moment, she thought I had lost my mind because she knew that I would never do such a thing. And immediately she said, are you feeling okay? And I said, no, I'm fine. I mean, you know, you've always wanted another dog to be with Bella and, you know, to have companionship and that sort of thing. And he seems like a really mild-mannered and good dog and very sweet. And I said, you know, hey, they're spending the week together. Maybe they could get them together and make sure they won't kill each other, right? And uh, if they can play together nicely, then maybe we can adopt him. Well, she wasted no time in making that phone call. She reached out, and they related that we were interested in adopting him. And so, a week ago, last Thursday, we picked him up and brought him to our home. And we have had him over the last week, and he is a lovable and sweet dog. Uh, he's never met a stranger, and he will lick you to death. Uh, Bella and Max are learning how to live together. The queen is trying to figure out why we've brought this animal into our home, where she is, but they're now starting to make things work. The sad part is, is that when you reach out to pet Max, he flinches because he's afraid that you're going to strike him. He puts his head down. 
And I realize it's going to take some time for him to realize that he has been brought into a loving home where he will not be beaten, but loved to death. The good news is that he will experience a better way of life that will also come with some new rules, but also provide him lots and lots of freedom. And this will ultimately bring him joy as he discovers that his new owners are very different from those who had him first. You see, today as we wrap up our sermon series on Exodus, we come to another defining moment for the people of Israel. God's claim on their lives by giving them a new way to live. God gives Moses commandments etched on stone tablets, and we know them, but these commandments define the covenantal relationship between God and Israel. God provides laws that serve sort of as their constitution, per se, and these laws not only define what is right and what is wrong, but more importantly, they reflect the very nature and the character of the God who has called them into his treasured possession. You see, everything, I believe, is centered on the very first two verses that we read together this morning. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is the appropriate context for the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. God sets the stage and he says, I am claiming you as my very own. As if God is saying to them, you are mine. You're mine. You belong to me. And it's interesting because God repeats this phrase five times within the Ten Commandments. Repetition. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Over and over and over. They say repetition helps you learn, right? Now, some of you may struggle with names when someone says, hi, my name is, and you're like, oh my goodness, am I going to remember their name? And they say that if you repeat it and say, hey, Frank, it's nice to meet you. Oh, hey, Frank, how are you doing? By the end of that conversation, you'll know that it's Frank. Or if you're trying to learn something new and you've never done it before, the best way to learn is repetition. To do it over and over again, and then it becomes normal, and you don't have to think about it. In this instance, God repeats himself over and over as the Lord your God, intentionally, so that they will know who they belong to. But you see, God's claim on them is different than Pharaoh's tyrannical claim on them as slaves, God has redeemed them. He has saved them from over 400 years of slavery and harsh treatment of beatings so that they can experience true freedom and joy. And God isn't forcing them now to be slaves. He's provided salvation for them, and because he's shown them his grace and his goodness, they will now experience a new life, well, an abundant life through him. This is a new start, much like Max's. You see, until now, Max has only known harsh treatment. Now he's loved and doted on. Now he receives treats 
and new toys. He eats very, very well. And he has people to play with and to pet him. And I think that Max likes his new life. And because he likes the love that is given to him, he gives love back. Now, he follows our commands not out of fear, but out of love. And that is exactly how God intends for Israel to respond. You see, God has provided for all of Israel's needs. He's protected them from Pharaoh. He's delivered on his promise of rescue out of slavery for them. He's brought them into this wilderness, but in the midst of the wilderness, he's provided streams in the desert and manna from heaven. God has looked after Israel, and he has even made promises to them that they would enter into what we know as the promised land, which would be full of milk and honey, a wonderful, lush land. And all that God asks for is for them to be obedient, to follow in his ways, his way of life that will lead them to abundant life and joy. You see, that's what the commandments really are intended to do. And so often when we read them, we see them kind of in a negative light. Don't do this and this and and this as a list of don't do's. But I think that's the wrong way of seeing them. If God is truly a God of life and a God of freedom, then God is not looking to make life miserable for Israel. They have already experienced that in the land of Egypt. Now, God wants them to have life, and in doing so, he sets a hedge of protection around them. I find that if you truly love someone or love something, then you will make sure that they are never in harm's way. Now, we love Bella, and now we love Max, and the last thing that we want to have happen is for them to get hurt. I want them to have freedom. I want them to be safe to be able to play at home, but if there were no boundaries for them, then they could escape and they could get lost, and, or even worse, they might get hurt. So at my house, I have an electric fence signal that goes out around our perimeter so that they can't go beyond that boundary. And if they get to the edge of it, they indeed will get shocked. Now, it would be terrible of me as an owner to have such a thing and not teach them where the boundaries are. Anyone who's ever done this knows that when you begin something like this, you have to get these flags and you have to go and mark them right where the boundaries are. And then you have to take the dog on the leash and take them to that boundary. And what we do is we pick up the flag and hit them on the head and say, bad flag, bad flag, and pull them back so that they know you don't want to go past this flag. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to let them actually feel the shock once to know this is bad news. Don't go beyond here. My job as their owner is to train them so that they know exactly where the boundaries are. Because it would be better for them to get shocked and come back in than to break through and potentially get ran over by a car or to have another predator find them and hurt them. These boundaries that we provide for our animals, they're given out of love and of protection, not to punish them or to prevent them from doing things. And I find that when God gives us his law, this is the way that God works with us. These laws are the boundary markers that keep his people safe, that provide them abundant life and prevent them from getting hurt 
or even hurting one another. And the first four laws have to do with, well, our love of God, not having any other gods before the Lord, not worshiping idols or disrespecting the mighty name of God, and honoring God by trusting Him in rest on the Sabbath day. And the next six laws have to do with loving our neighbor as ourselves, right? We honor God when we honor our parents, and we respect life when we don't murder or kill someone. We respect our spouse when we are faithful to them. We respect our neighbor when we uh, refuse to take what is rightfully theirs. We honor our neighbor when we tell the truth. And we honor our neighbor and protect ourselves when we refrain from coveting what someone else has. But truth be told, these laws do more than tell us what is right and what is wrong. They reflect the very nature and character of the God who delivered Israel from slavery. So think about it this way for a moment. God is the only God that exists, and therefore God will not lie to his people that there are other gods out there to be worshipped. Thus, worshiping idols will only lead them away from the true God of heaven and earth. And God's name has been revealed to them because God is a personal God, a God who longs to be in relationship with his people. And he has revealed that to them, and therefore they are not to misuse it or misrepresent it in any way because they belong to him. Honoring the Sabbath, well, it honors the God who rested on the seventh day of creation. And it shows that they fully trust God and that God will provide for them even when there's one less day to get everything done. Honoring their father and their mother is honoring God because their vertical relationship with God also affects their horizontal relationships too. They must first honor God as their parent and do likewise with their biological family. They are not to murder because God is the author and giver of life. And to God, every single life matters. They are not to commit adultery because God is faithful. And God loves them with a steadfast love. Hesed is the Hebrew word here. It's a love that well, it redeems them from their enemies. It's a love that redeems them from their sin. It's a love that preserves their life and strengthens their spiritual life and keeps every single promise ever made. They're not to steal because God is the giver of all good things. They're not to bear false witness against anyone because God is the source of all truth. And God will not and cannot lie to them Thus, they're not to lie to or about one another. And they're not to covet because God is the source of all we need. He alone is the provider of their needs. Maybe not all of their wants, but definitely all of their needs. And coveting, well, coveting can lead down the path of murder, adultery, stealing, and lying. It's a very dangerous path that can lead to breaking the boundary lines, potentially getting hurt, and even hurting others in the process. You see, these commands not only seek to protect them from harm, but they show forth the very nature and character of the God who has claimed them as his very own. God reiterates this important message through the prophet Isaiah when the people of God had disobeyed and disregarded God's commands and ended up in exile there in Babylon, 
So Isaiah speaks God's words to them saying, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. You are mine, says the Lord, who has revealed himself and has saved us from sin and from death who has proclaimed this good news to us through his law, but even more so through his son, Jesus the Christ. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Rather, he came to fulfill it to the very end for us. In fact, Jesus tells us in John's gospel, and he speaks to the Jewish leaders, and he says to them, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Jesus kept the law in every way, in ways that you and I can't even do. And he proclaims to us that he is the way, he is the truth, that he is the life. And he calls us to follow him. Jesus is the author of the law, and by following him, we become witnesses, as Isaiah proclaims. And as witnesses of Jesus, we proclaim that God is who he says he is that we follow in his ways. You see, this is what shapes us and defines us and marks us as Christians. It's not the cross necklaces that we wear around our necks. It's not the cool bumper stickers that we give you for your cars to say that you go to First Presbyterian Church. It's not the t-shirts that we wear that have wonderful scripture verses on them that define who we are as the people of God. Now, what defines us as the people of God It's the way that we live obediently to the Lord, to his commands. You see, God, God has adopted us into his family. He has saved us from a life of bondage and has freed us to serve him joyfully. Not because we must, but because we love him for what he's done and for what he continues to do in our lives And in Jesus Christ, he's given us a fresh start, a new home, and promises never to leave us or to forsake us. He's given us a new way of life that bears witness to his very nature and character so that others in the world may come to know his salvation and his freedom too. I am the Lord your God. You, you are mine, declares the Lord. And because God has claimed us as his people, he calls us to respond to his graciousness by living lives that reflect the image of the one who created us as we follow his law, but especially as we follow Jesus together, the fulfillment and the end of the law. So friends, today I invite you to rejoice to rejoice that you, like Max, have been adopted into a new family. You are children of the living God. 
And now God says, as my children, this is how you shall live. These are the boundary markers to live within. And within these boundaries, you'll find freedom. You can run freely. You can play and enjoy and worship and experience the goodness, the greatness of God. Yes, you see, God's law is not a list of negatives, but a source of freedom and abundant life as we seek to be his witnesses together. For Jesus reminds us in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. That is what God desires for all of us. And my prayer today is that we would experience the beauty of God's abundant life as we follow in the way of Jesus the way, the truth, and the life for all of us. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.